Occult Confessions is brought to you by the generous support of our patrons. Click Donate on the Occult Confessions website to keep the history of the occult on the digital airwaves. Yeah, that's good enough. We'll take that. In the first half of the 20th century, a Luciferian order of German occultists formed to cross the threshold, practice sex magic, and achieve a form of self-deification. Like many occult groups of the same time period, they claimed to have an ancient origin stretching back to ancient Rome by way of a secret quasi-Rosicrucian group who worshipped Wotan during the period of the Renaissance. This was the Brotherhood of Saturn, created by the occult bookshop owner and writer Gregor Gregorius in 1928, give or take. Gregorius, who fled to Switzerland during the build-up to World War II, would be hunted and eventually imprisoned by the ironically anti-occult Nazi party, whose fascination with mystical legends and runes posed a stark contrast to the persecution of the Brotherhood of Saturn, the Freemasons, and other fraternal groups. Today on Occult Confessions, one of Germany's most famous occult orders, the Fraternitas Saturni. My name is Dr. Robert C. Thompson, the Supreme Hierophant of the Secret Order of Alchemical Actors, and joining us uh, back in the saddle after uh, qu- quite a hiatus, and we've missed him very much, James Kaplangis, Captain of the Table. Welcome back, sir. Oh, thank you very much, Rob. It's great to be back. What have you always. been up to? I have been teaching maths. <laughs> all the math. More than one math? Yes. Several math. Statistics, the algebra, the calculus, and the logic, and all that. How yeah. the kids doing in the maths? Pretty well. Pretty good. Um, yeah. And I've been getting better as a tutor, so. That's good. Yeah. That's good. my eyes. It's our, you know, e- economics and numbers. That's our, our tools against capitalism, right? We've got to follow the money <laughs> to find the corruption. It's t- <laughs> that's okay that's what i'm teaching them economics <laughs> is our tools against corruption sometimes i feel like it's our tools of corruption it is that's why <laughs> oh okay. you know, yes yeah i see yeah. so we've got one in the same get the tools of our enemies under yeah under control the maths that is <laughs> delightful are you ready to talk about some uh, german sex magicians yeah i am i noticed that you use the phrase self-deification mm. what is that like Making yourself into a god? That's what it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. Very Crowleyite kind of idea. Becoming your own god. But each individual, not necessarily one person. Yeah, it's not like a cult where there's just one guy who's the god. Everybody gets to be the god. Ah, I see the appeal now. (laughs) Yeah, it's not nice. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's pledge it out. We, the members of the secret order of alchemical actors, do solemnly commit ourselves to a full and honest telling of the history of the occult as far as we know it. All right, James, can you give uh, give us an opening sound for the Order of Confessors? Oh, sure. Absolutely. You ready? I'm ready. <laughs> I was not actually ready, okay. um, but I'm delighted. <laughs> so we want to welcome Jonathan C. to our patrons, and we want to thank Twitch2 for the pledge bump. Thanks, guys. Lots of room to join the Patreon, friends. As always, as James mentioned at the beginning, this is how we pay for the show. We are a commercial-free enterprise. We plan to remain a commercial-free enterprise. Uh, And fun fact, because we have had patrons keeping us at a certain level for so long, uh, we are going to begin rolling out new content starting this summer. Uh, 
but in order to make that happen uh, and continue to push us forward and pay our bills because it gets more expensive when we create more content we need to keep those patrons rolling in so consider donating for as little as two dollars a month you can uh, have full access to our library of bonus episodes uh, but i'm not done yet james okay so i gotta thank a few people who've left us some reviews elwing garin a plus blackheart love it thank you at Naflin says fascinating dynamic and interesting group oh stein dry says awesome and also listen to defiance album ant i so there's a little plug i guess yeah plug. defiant d-f-y ant and then the album is ant i so there's an ant thing going on here mm. Mm. chemtrails we say <laughs> wait 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 because ants actually biologically produce chemtrails yes. or because ants are somehow involved in the conspiracy theory around jets? No, the first. <laughs> the, 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 I meant the first one. Okay. Close up the order of confessors. Something like that. Something like that. All right. Uh, what were we talking about before we started, James? Saturnian cock rings? Yes. And, yeah, I said it. Saturn has how many cock rings? That's <laughs> a good question. Maybe we'll find out today. Yeah. Brotherhood of Saturn will tell us. Let's get into those ancient Roman gods. Janus, the ancient god of beginnings and endings, ruled over the region that would become Rome long before the empire was ever dreamed of in an almost forgotten golden age. A mystical golden age, if you will. His counterpart, Saturn, arrived first as a guest, but eventually became co-ruler of Janus's kingdom at Janus's invitation and taught Janus the art and science of agriculture. In this great and idyllic past, humans enjoyed the fruits of the earth without labor, and all was bounty and joy. Saturn had multiple aspects and two wives. Ops was a goddess of abundance and wealth, and Lua, a goddess of violence and destruction. Sounds a little bit like your Hindu gods. Yeah. You got your violent Kali wife, and then you got your your peaceful Parvati wife. Uh, So, Saturn had five children with his wife, Ops. Those children were, you're going to, these will sound more familiar, I imagine, Neptune, Pluto, Juno, Ceres, and Vesta. But he received a prophecy that one of his children would depose him. Ops, pregnant with Jupiter, gave birth to her son and raised him in secret until Jupiter was strong enough to rise up against his father, carve him open, and free his siblings, who he had swallowed. Classic. Classic Classic. Saturn. Always (laughs) swallowing his children. To celebrate the ancient god and the time of perfect bounty he once ruled over, the Romans celebrated the Saturnalia each December. The Saturnalia was held from the 17th until the 23rd, making it the ancient pagan equivalent of Christmas. Hmm. The people elected a lord of misrule, a king of Saturn, that is, who issued mock decrees as people made merry and distributed small gifts. The medieval period had a similar Feast of Fools tradition. The Saturnalia sought to revive the mythical golden age gone by, a world of unencumbered freedom and a celebration of light lit by abundant candles before Saturn got mad and ate all its children. Roles were reversed, masters served slaves at a great banquet, people ate too much, drank too much, and gambled. 
In the mists of legend, the Greco-Roman Saturn came to be identified with the Germanic god Wotan, and the inspiration for a secret group of occultists rumored to have practiced at the same period as the original Rosicrucians. I'm speaking, of course, of the Brotherhood of Saturn, or Fraternitas Saturni. Whether or not there was a 17th century brotherhood, this became central to the lore of the 20th century lodge, also called the Brotherhood of Saturn. Now, you remember, James, when I started the alchemical actors, uh, I talked a lot about the 17th century alchemical actors and how we were, in fact, a continuation of those guys, uh, but that their microphones weren't actually plugged into anything because they didn't have any functional electricity, and so their podcast was never uh, recorded. But they did have microphones. They did, yeah. They they, they just no no electricity. Yeah, no, they did most of the episodes that we have done, but yeah, unfortunately, because of the lack of electricity, none of it was was actually recorded in any meaningful way <laughs> i like this I we're like a reboot but this. we're the the premier reboot <laughs> we, are, we are the premier reboot <laughs> there was a collection of occult organizations in germany that laid the groundwork for the fraternitas Saturni. so now we're going to get into we were in the mists of legend Yes. Now we're going to get into some real historical people who created actual occult groups. The origin story of our brotherhood, essentially? From a historical standpoint, a thing that scholars will sign off on, because after all, we will not sign off on the 17th century alchemical actors with their microphones, nor the 17th century brotherhood of Saturn. Okay. I mean, when you think about it, like um, Gerald Gardner claimed that there were these, you know, Wiccans in the past who had somehow inspired his practice. I'm not, I'm using the wrong term. Secret Coven of Witches. Yes. So Wicca was based on this secret coven. And was there a secret coven? Uh, who knows? But this is a pretty common thing to claim that there was some secret ancient group that you were connected to. And it gave your new, brand new, where did this come from? This seems like it made, you made it up off the top of your head. Gives that more credence. Ah, yes. okay. So now you're for real because you actually have these ancient witches and you're just redoing their thing it's a time-honored tradition it's a time-honored tradition not something i made up yesterday we're like a family here right because <laughs> if i just made it up yesterday yeah it's hard to it's hard to get people yeah. to buy onto that yeah so uh there were a collection as i said of occult organizations in germany uh and these were the direct precursors to the fraternitas saturni the most significant of those, although we can list other groups, were the Adonists or Adonists? Adonists. I don't know why I called them the Adonists. Is Germany, not France. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Otio Ordo Templi Orientis and the Pansophical Lodge. Okay. Yeah. Pansophical. Pansophical. What is that? What does that mean? I've never really heard of that. Uh, Pansophical? Does that mean loving of all? It's, it's pan would be accepting all right oh, yeah james you're the word guy so pan would be accept- i hadn't really thought about theosophy pan sophie sophie's love wisdom. wisdom oh oh it's love yeah where yeah philosophy is love of love of phil of knowledge <laughs> yeah. yeah not phil not phil no. no because i may have just solved all the questions of western philosophy <laughs> just phil why don't we if we the just love love phil, phil for the better. love of phil okay so love of all yeah, yeah there you go all that. right okay. good good to have the word man here <laughs> it's a neat word but it, it, um were they were they loving, loving all? all we'll find out okay Adonism, let's start there. So I'm going to make you wait. Let's start with Adonism. Mm. Was the worship of the ancient Greek lover of Aphrodite, uh, Adonis. Mm. Who was uh, I believe gored by a bull 
or something not gored by a bull gored by a like a wild pig something that like makes that. sense wild pigs do that yeah and i think she turned him into a flower or something don't quote me on that uh but i vaguely remember that anyway uh adonism was created by franz sattler also known as dr musalam he made that one up <laughs> because <laughs> Musalam means awesome stuff in German. Like Gerald Gardner in the UK, Sattler created his religion as a neo-pagan practice and claimed that it had its own mythical ancient roots. Adonists were polytheistic. An original male and female deity emerged from the chaos and created a malevolent son, Mulkos. So this is the... Uh, what, am I, what word am I looking for? This is the lore of of Adonism. Okay. So here we have original male and female God. They create Malkos, but Malkos is not a nice guy. So it's got this Gnostic feel to it. There's this evil malevolent entity they create. They then had two more children and those children were Adonis and Dido. Adonis and Dido are much more awesome and they create a beautiful world. But remember that first son, Malkos, not such a nice guy. He kills Adonis uh, who then is revived by Dido, and the brother and sister exist in a state of perpetual battle with their dark rival. So I guess it's not quite Gnostic, because the world is created by the good gods, but there is this, it's more Christian, there's, there's this evil entity that's constantly battling them. Yeah, this uh, perpetual dichotomy. Yeah, yeah. It's even got that Osiris, Isis thing going on where he's killed and has to be revived by his wife. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, very interesting. interesting blending some mythologies here uh so uh adonists inverted christianity claiming that malkos sent false prophets so here's where it gets interesting so i just compared them to christianity but actually they're gonna give christianity a great big middle finger (laughs) so they claimed that malkos evil god sent evil child god child of gods sent false prophets, and those false prophets included Moses, Muhammad, and Jesus. Uh, uh, let me just clarify for my listeners out Hot there. Hot take. This is the Adonists, <laughs> not me. Just right. saying what the Adonists <laughs> believed. To mislead the people into a false monotheistic worship of Malkos. So now that's back to Gnosticism. All these religions that we think are the worship of the true God or gods is just the worship of the wrong God, Malkos, evil Malkos. In the year 2000, a cataclysmic battle between Adonis and Malkos would usher in a new era of Adonis. In the meantime, the Adonists worshipped their Luciferian idol by practicing a kind of sex magic. Sattler's Luciferianism and interest in sex as an element of worship were then an important inspiration for the Brotherhood of Saturn. So the Adonists had Luciferian qualities. When I say that, yeah, it's good to clarify that, James. I mean Lucifer as being of light. Okay. So what makes them Luciferian, it is a little bit confusing. Since Christianity worships Malkos, the evil child god, and doesn't know they're worshiping the evil child god, the Adonists are worshiping Adonis, who is Malkos's rival. Yes, but the, only yeah, the Adonists know, right? Right. But okay. but if you ask the Christians, Adonis is the bad one, and Malkos is the good one. Okay. Do you see? Yes. So they flipped it, which makes them worshippers of Satan, Lucifer, in the eyes of the Christians. But the Christians are wrong. 
I see. Yeah. yeah it's, a, it's a relative it's thing. all. Yeah, it's, it it's depends all on which perspective relative. you're looking at. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's not even like, you know, a Blavatsky ideology where Lucifer is just this misunderstood being of light. Although it, it is in a way, because Blavatsky yeah. also talks about God being manipulative in the Garden of Eden and that kind of thing. So uh, uh, this is more, this is like the most direct you're going to get saying <laughs> that you're worshiping this bad Gnostic God. You got it wrong. Our God is the right one. And it's the one you keep calling the devil. <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's the Luciferian aspect of it applied. Mind blown, right? Yes. Another contributor to the Brotherhood's interest in sex magic was the Ordo Templi Orientis, which has been a subject in another episode on our show and was first developed by Carl Kellner. The order is perhaps best known for its flourishing under Theodore Royce, Franz Hartmann, and Joshua Klein. Hartman's name may be familiar to regular listeners who listen really closely because he was involved in the infamous Hodgson report, which accused Helena Blavatsky of faking the supernatural phenomena her followers claimed she produced in Adyar, India. Remember, there was a cabinet and had a hole in it, and there was her maid who had been a friend of hers and had fallen on hard times. Anyway, the whole thing. So he wasn't wrong. Or about what? Well, nobody really Blavatsky. knows what no, happened. No, but yeah. he, that he was the one who out tried to out her. Uh, no, Hartman public. was on board with Blavatsky. Oh, okay, he was trying cool. to defend her. Hodgson was the one who was like, ah, there's some fishy going on here. Okay, I see. Uh, and maybe there was, maybe there wasn't. It certainly didn't look great for Blavatsky, but there's no actual evidence of how she could have faked things because they're just guessing. The cabinet had been disappeared. Anyway. Hartman, Hartman was an advocate for Blavatsky, as I said, and retained a piece of the shrine where letters from the Ascended Masters materialized after the shrine had been destroyed, following accusations that it was rigged. So by shrine, we're talking about this kind of like cabinet where the letters from the Masters would just pop up, and the claim was that there was a hole in the back, and Blavatsky was sneaking letters through the holes. This guy actually kept a piece of it, because her followers, in order to preserve her reputation, destroyed the thing. Although she claimed that she hadn't put the hole in it. She claimed that she was being set up, that somebody else had put the hole uh. in it. It's a mess. N not Blavatsky's best moment. Hartman argued that it was impossible to explain away all the phenomena Blavatsky produced since they were by no means limited to the magical cabinet. And we say this in our episode, actually. Yeah. She did all kinds of stuff. There's like tea sets in the like buried in the ground and rings and brooches like sewed inside pillows. And she did all kinds of weird stuff like that. So the cabinet couldn't explain it all. Kellner developed the OTO as a space to get back to the Ordo Templi Orientis. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, once Blavatsky comes up, you guys know I go on a tangent. Kellner developed the OTO as a space to explore the intersections of Tantra and Pascal Beverly Randolph's sex magical techniques. P.B. Randolph, one of our very first episodes. Yes, yes indeed. One of the America's first occultists. But Kellner died uh, a year after he founded the order. And so Royce took over. Royce would be the one to lead the OTO to its greatest success and attract the notice of one Alistair Crowley. Royce ooh. was... Ooh, he gets a sound, right? Yeah. <laughs> Royce was a wildly entrepreneurial occultist who had founded a series of lodges along with his friends. He was like a serial founder of lodges. <laughs> He's a lodgeman. He's a lodgeman, yeah, at heart. <laughs> In 1880, he had tried unsuccessfully to revive the infamous Bavarian Illuminati, but then with Hartman and Klein, he succeeded in creating the Masonic Rites of Memphis and Mizraim and a lodge of the Scottish Rite. <laughs> so that's four whole lodges. The first of which, let me just say one more time, was the Illuminati. Yeah. 
Yes. <laughs> He's like, I can't wait. I want to get this Bavarian Illuminati back up and running. That's what our world's missing. I want to nerd out a little bit again. Apologies to listeners who don't listen attentively and memorize all of our episodes. But we did do an episode where we talked about the Bavarian Illuminati. This was literally a guy... Uh, who, who created this secret order and nobody else, nobody knew who the other members were. You, you weren't allowed to know the other members. All you knew was that you were inducted. So it was this very secret organization, but it only lasted a few years. Uh, and it ended when, when one of the members who was delivering a secret message for the Illuminati got struck by lightning and was caught with the message. And then the membership just sort of folded. The whole thing fell apart. Oh. But I argued in that episode that the Bavarian Illuminati no, no longer existed and they never existed after that. I, I, I just found out during research for this episode that that's not entirely true because Royce tried to create a new Bavarian Illuminati around 1880. It just didn't work out. So I guess I'm still right. Right. But I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like that's a, that's a hard thing to pull off this anonym, the, with the <laughs> yeah. anonymity. Yeah. yeah, complete anonymity. And yes. it was like anarchist, this kind of like bring down the government, bring down organized religion kind of organization. But also like, it's like Illuminati Anonymous. Yes, super <laughs> secret squirrel. Yeah. yeah. So uh, when uh, Royce took over the OTO, he subsumed all of these groups under that single banner. So he started 100 lodges <laughs> and then he said, okay, I'm going to put this under one brand. After sort of like me starting podcasts. And that's the OTO. That's the OTO. Okay. After meeting Crowley before the First World War, Royce initiated him into the OTO and was converted to belief in Crowley's law of Thelema. Control of the order then passed to Crowley after Royce's death in 1922. And the OTO is, I think, today most famously associated with Crowley for that reason. The circumstances of this passing of the torch were arguably contentious, but so are most things involving Aleister Crowley, so we're not going to get into the occult politics of that. <laughs> James want to know about the Pansophical Lodge. So, we've done the Here Adonists, we we've done the OTO, time for the Pansophical Lodge. This was a direct precursor to the Brotherhood of Saturn. The chair of the lodge was Albin Graw, best known as the producer and production designer for the 1922 classic horror film Nosferatu. Really? True story. Yeah. That's neat. <laughs> it is neat. Gregor Gregorius, who would go on to found the Fraternitas Saturni, was the lodge's secretary. So we finally meet Gregor. Gregorius made his living as an occult bookseller, as I mentioned at the beginning. At the Waida Conference, a gathering of German occultists with Aleister Crowley uh, in the town of Ho Hohenlüben, and I know I've got German listeners, and I apologize sincerely to you all for speaking in the first place. Hohenlüben. <laughs> <laughs> a rift formed, as it often did, between those who supported Crowley's theories and those who did not. Gregorius was generally in favor of Crowley, despite his detractors' complaints that he had exposed the secrets of sex magic to the uninitiated and unprepared. But Graw worried over the anti-Christian stance of Crowley's Book of the Law. The conference tried to establish a statement of unity between these groups, but Graw renounced the statement as soon as they had written it. Really? Wait. So, so and Graw is the head yes, of this of the Pansophical Lodge. Yeah. Yep. And the members were trying to unite. I try to create this statement. And he's like, probably, I, I imagine that he was on board and like nodding along. And as he's nodding along, he's like, I don't like anything about he's this. Like, I'm so, I can't say this. <laughs> yeah. This is bullshit. They finally finish it. And yeah, he just walks out. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. On Maundy Thursday, 1926, the Pansophical Lodge was dissolved, and on May the 5th, five brothers formed the Brotherhood of Saturn. In total, one-third of the Pansophical Lodge ended up in the Fraternitas Saturni. Mm. So I don't actually know a lot about their belief system here, James, but um, I think that they're most famous for politically being, for fighting with Aleister Crowley, (laughs) and then for becoming the Brotherhood of Saturn. So I guess a lot of their doctrine we can just sort of overlap with what Saturn starts to pick up. And the Saturn Brotherhood, are are they more exclusionary members of the previous? They're more anonymous, like protect the secrets. This is secret. Yeah, there yes. is secrets. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. This is a secret lodge. We don't know until 1970 many of so the rights So these weren't the things. Crowley Crowlers. <laughs> no. no. Yeah, uh, although some people argue that Crowley kept secrets that like he published some things but that there were secret practices and ideas that he didn't publicize okay yeah he seemed to have written an awful lot and liked publicity a whole lot so i don't know that i believe that but who knows in my personal opinion there are certain elements of the experience of mysticism and magic that you just can't articulate even if you try true so Maybe to that extent, Crowley kept his secrets, but these guys literally kept their rights and stuff and their practices under lock and key. While Gregor Gregorius had broken with some of his fellow occultists, in part because of his embrace of Crowley's law of Thelema, he did not want any formal relationship between Crowley's organizations. He did not want any formal relationship between Crowley's organizations and the Brotherhood. In fact, Gregorius probably never met Crowley in person again after the WIDA conference. Still, Gregorius adopted a distinct version of Thelema, arguing that the goal of the initiate is compassionless love, or love without pity. Yeah. Do they mean that as a good thing? Yeah. Yes, they think it's a good thing. The initiate achieves love without pity by creating the beloved out of him or herself. In this way, the Brotherhood was not interested in the annihilation of the ego as the end goal of crossing the threshold, but rather self-deification, becoming one's own god. All men and women are stars, said Crowley, and love is the law. Love under will. So it's this deep love of self. Yes. Equal to the love that you can have for a god, someone who you wouldn't have pity on. Yes. You don't pity a god. Don't pity a god. Yeah, that makes good sense. Love without pity is the perfect highest form of love in 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 their opinion. In their eyes. Yeah, Yeah, in their eyes. Compassionless love. Inspired by the ideas of Heinrich Tronker, uh, also a bookseller and a publisher, the Pansophical Lodge had sought to unite all occult teachings uh, into a single doctrine and practice. I think there's the pan Yes. Yeah. That's where the main idea, I guess, comes from. But then <laughs> they tried to like apply it, and he and the their leader was just like, "Nah, this is a bad idea, guys. I'm out." <laughs> it was. Yeah, it was almost it's, like they introduced Crowley into it, and if his ideology was to get everything together, he just couldn't find a way to fit Crowley into the rest of the system. Oh, he didn't fit in. Okay, I see. So it kind of broke. Historically, I mean, Crowley is probably most famous for breaking up the Order of the Golden Dawn. So he's like known for just tearing apart occult organizations just by (laughs) existing in them. So, yeah, it is ironic, but. Yeah, they're like, oh, we're going to, we're going to 
put an umbrella over all of these, <laughs> all these that are called, and then there's like, okay, everything. but actually it's not an umbrella, it's a box, and Crowley's outside this box. <laughs> yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's let this guy in. Ah, oh, crap, he can't be yeah, in he here. Yeah, he can't fit oh, in here. There's damn no space it. for him. All right. We really tried, we man. Got to get out of here. <laughs> So the Brotherhood of Saturn continued uh, the work of uniting all occult teachings, but subsumed, subsumed under the mythos of the ancient Roman god Saturn and his astrological equivalent in the solar system, namely that planet surrounded by cock rings that James was talking about earlier. A bunch of them. bunch of cock rings. Saturn overlaps with the Demiurge and Lucifer. He is the breaker of the cosmic order who brought change, time, death, and regeneration into being. In this way, Saturn is also like Prometheus and the serpent in paradise, an identification that rings true with a tradition of occultism going back at least to Helena Blavatsky, but arguably as far as the ancient Gnostics. The Brotherhood asserted that there was no personal Christian God. God, rather, is the absolute zero-point energy, and the initiate must become a God, him or herself. So God sort of exists in that space of annihilation, the uh, singularity. The origin point. Yeah, yeah, where the universe is formed and destroyed. Uh, I've, see, I've heard physicists make this argument, or I've read physicists making this argument that conceivably God, through his conscious observation of the particle that exists at the beginning of time, creates the world into being. And that if the universe implodes back into that particle, God also exists at the end of time to once again view or observe the universe into being through his consciousness, his or her, their consciousness. I love what I just heard. (laughs) Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, I'm going to be thinking about that for the next few nights, laying awake in bed. That's beautiful. I like that. And that aligns with kind of my headcanon of if uh, what's possible and how matter came to be. I mean, the view that I'm articulating isn't quite Saturnian in essence because God, it's, it acknowledges, I mean, if we talk to these, these very Wheeler and these different physicists, the idea is that our consciousness is not sufficiently strong enough to will the universe into being. Nah. But these guys are more on board with this idea of, of connecting with your inner godhood and, and in a way you can become this elevated consciousness, I guess. And the perks being... Uh, you know, being God. Cool. <laughs> cool. Well, and also, lots of weird sex stuff. So, I don't yeah. want to judge. Lots of sex stuff. It does. It, or is it like because we're talking about sex magic? But it doesn't seem like they're having sex with the magic. It's like not yet. It's like sperm-related <laughs> rituals. Oh no, there's going to no, be no. Okay, sex there's more here. sex. All right. I'm co- it's coming for you. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> A traditional sexual recipe. Drip tiny drops of pure spirit grain alcohol into a small glass tube. Add three drops of blood taken from the tip of your venous finger and the first drop of sperm after ejaculation. Seal the tube airtight. Wrap it in a real virgin parchment on which you have written the magic square of Venus and Mars in Hebrew letters and wear it in a silk pouch around your neck. Within a short time, you will have become irresistible to women if this magical procedure were performed during the Venus Hour at full moon day. Cool. So that, that, that James, is just a little taste of Gregor Gregorius. What is the Venus finger? It is your middle finger. Ah. Yeah. 
So, you know, the finger with which you say F you. Yeah. Oh, your second finger. Talking about third. Third? Middle. Well, if you start from the thumb. <laughs> oh, I see. Yes. But if you don't count the thumb. Yeah. It would then be it's your Mercury second finger. Venus. Yeah. Venus finger. Mercury. V- That's how I'm trying to make sense of it. I'm all right with that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see. I've actually got a picture here. Uh, oh, no. It said, this is saying that Venus is your fourth, your ring finger. That's ah. confusing. And Earth is your middle finger. So, But you're right, though. Then the pinky is Mercury, Venus. Uh, oh, and it's got to be on which hand? All <laughs> <laughs> oh, those hands are both facing the same way. Mercury, Venus. So pinky, ring finger is Venus. Earth is your middle finger. Mars is your pointer finger. And then the asteroid belt is your thumb. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, skipping over Jupiter. And then, well, Jupiter oh, is your pinky that's again. Right, that's right. Okay. And then Saturn is your ring finger. Uranus is your middle finger. Neptune. And then Pluto is so your thumb. So your, your ring finger is both the Venus mm-hmm. finger and the Saturn finger. See how that's significant, isn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because they love that Saturn stuff. Yeah, they do. They I mean, do. they named themselves after it. Right. You know? Right. Uh, so that's not an adenism, but it's a little taste of Gregorius uh, as we're wading our way into this this topic he's a little broy there that you can like he's, he's sort of like a pickup artist yeah <laughs> like a magic yeah, pickup artist he's wearing that big stupid hat and he's got a tv show and if you follow if you follow this uh this uh recipe my, my seven step plan yeah you're my seven step plan <laughs> it, it'll work 85 percent of the time every time <laughs> yeah <laughs> you'll be irresistible to women and dogs dogs and sometimes and, and some geese some geese which can be a problem yes yeah, so be careful so stay away from geese lucifer also introduced sexual procreation when he joined with chela or eve so in the mythology of the brotherhood of saturn sex is lucifer's creation and lucifer invents sex with the first woman wasn't adam it was lucifer procreation brought death because it brought evolution and change before lucifer has sex with eve there's no offspring nothing changes everything stays the same and eve and adam right are existing in this paradise that never changes and they live forever and everything's very static until they have sex and then everything changes <laughs> and lucifer is lucifer's idea and the clock starts ticking right okay uh, yet again, I mean, it's sort of like the Adonis. They're taking Christian ideas, practically Augustinian ideas, and turning them on their head. Yes, yeah. They're like, what? What if it was? What if we got? What if they had it wrong? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sure, they didn't have sex until they fell, but the fall was really, you know, it was really fun. It was the only way that the universe could exist. Otherwise, yeah. it'd just be this static entity. On Earth, the paired principles of light and dark do battle. The higher, lighter side is the Crestos and Lucifer, associated with creation and life. Let me say that again. The higher, lighter side is the Crestos and Lucifer. They're one in the same. The lower, darker side is the Gotis. That's an acronym. Oh, like POTUS? Yes. <laughs> or SCOTUS. It's Gotis. If you're not a, a listener in the U.S., POTUS stands for President of the United States, SCOTUS, Supreme Court of the United States. We love our OTUS acronyms, but apparently in Germany, too, they had an OTUS. A GOTUS. A GOTUS. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Satan, 
uh, so the dark side is the goddess and Satan. So Satan bad, Lucifer good. Yeah, a little confusing. That's associated with destruction and death. So Crestos and Lucifer, creation and life, Godus and Satan, destruction and death. Women for Gregorius were the vicars of the Luciferian principle on earth, although there weren't many women in the brotherhood. I mean, it's called a brotherhood. Yeah, that's, that's true. The fraternity, yeah, figured mm. that women were generally shy of the night side of life, which accounted for their unavailability as the vicars. Maybe they just felt like they didn't have a lot of power or protection or security. Did you ever think about that? Come on. <laughs> Come on. Why you got to make it all about Godus? Yeah. I mean, jeez. <laughs> yeah, my goodness. I mean, particularly in, in a lodge surrounded by these men waiting to sex magic you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the most welcoming environment for a woman. No. Like the Theosophical Society, the Brotherhood had its own secret and hidden master. The Godus, and now I will tell you what that stands for. The Great Ordinus Templi Orientis Saturni. Now here's the interesting thing. The Godus is both the Saturn Satan, god of destruction and death, and the Godus is the secret hidden master, a specific entity of the Lodge. So that means both things. So so Godus is... Do they still have this thought of that, like, the dark side is, or the goddess in this particular case, is what the Christians are praising as their own god? Uh, that's not, that's not so much anymore, but no, you need to, anymore. as a Brotherhood of Saturn guy, you got to embrace these ideas. you got to embrace the, the goddess and the dark. Yes, you got to get it all. Okay. Yeah. The goddess being exists on Earth, but is also associated with the planet Saturn and is alternately considered a pre-existing entity and a thought form created by the members of the Lodge, also known as an egregore. 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 Mm. So it's all of this stuff. (laughs) It's a primordial god. It's the planet Saturn, or an entity, a planetary angel of Saturn of some kind, and a being like a golem like a being created by the psychic energy of the lodge members interesting yeah it's all of these things so so there is a little bit of like a cabal element to this i for sure they've embraced some or at least their forefathers used hebrew in their rituals insofar as they're attempting to merge all these occult principles i think it's inevitable that kabbalah's in the mix and this is right this is what just before world war ii Yes, it's the, yeah. yeah, it's post World War One. It's in that Weimar sweet spot. So, uh, where are we at? So, the Egregor, which, as I'm saying, is a kind of tulpa, was central to the workings of the Brotherhood. Tulpa is a better, better than Gollum because it, it's this psychic entity. It could function as a battery that members charged with their psychic energy but could also draw on when creating their magical works by accessing it with a secret key. Members received a ring, which served to allow members to recognize one another in the wide world, but it also had a magical function. Gathering the... What what kind of ring was this? A magic ring. Like a finger ring? or Finger ring. Oh, yeah, yeah. Not a... Oh. Not not one of the rings of Saturn. No, no, not one of those rings. Or the other kind of ring we were talking about. Yeah. Uh, So... (laughs) So... Its magical function was to gather the power of the individual's will and connect the individual up with the power of Saturn. So in a way, it was Saturn's ring. What? It's a green lantern cock ring. A green lantern cock ring. 
Because they... All right, so the Green Lantern Corps... Yes. ...is their power is their will, and they charge it with this battery, or they charge the battery with their will, and they use their ring, it's powered by will, it's just a lot of overlaps, small overlaps, it's kind of stupid. But I'm th- you picture now I'm picturing the Green Lanterns wearing cock rings that are green. Voice actor Neil Sigmund today. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> talking about something that I don't understand. <laughs> but James seems to get it. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah, Lantern Corps. Aaron, Aaron Reynolds. Uh-oh. Okay. Now that's, that's all he had to say to make me vomit into my mouth a little um, so, <laughs> Sorry, Ryan Reynolds. No, fans. it's okay. He would agree with you. I'm not actually sorry. Okay. Uh, so where were we? After achieving the 18th degree, the degree at which members learned the tricks of sex magic, an 18th degree ring could be shown to any other wearer of the so-called pentalphic ring, and they would have to join the initiator in an act of sex magic. So you thought the ring was a good thing. But now you're flashing it around, and everyone who shows you their ring, you got sex magic with them. Yeah. Uh, I grew up with something like this. There, there... <laughs> There were these like bands that people would buy with different colors uh-huh. and they would wear them on their wrists. And the thing, the, the rules were like, like if you walk up to somebody wearing one of these bracelets and you broke it, then they would owe you a sexual act. Oh, so like people wearing these bracelets are like, if, yeah, if you want to do this thing with me, break this bracelet. Now, this was something that was in, like, the culture in, like, high school when I was coming up. That's odd. Yeah, it is odd. It's similar to this, though, and it's 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 sexual power. And Yes. Yes. I mean, if that, in that case, it feels like an excuse, but I think That's this is an excuse. More of an excuse well. It's like creating but, yeah. an opening for something that you feel weird or guilty about. Yes. It removes that element because you have this... What were the bracelets? You could break them so easy. Yeah, they were just, like... Like, yeah, they were very breakable. Like silly bands? Yeah, essentially. Silly bands were like, the children wore them, and they were like shapes. These were no shapes. They were These just were circles. just plain, breakable bands of different colors. You just get your finger in there and snap and it. And just snap it. Oh. And, yeah. That that also feels like it's full of all kinds of symbolism that Ooh, teenagers yeah. would not be familiar with or yes, thinking about. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they might be familiar with it, but not thinking about <laughs> The breaking and anyway. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) This is definitely going to be one of those episodes we we rate. Um, E, rated E. No, that's for everyone. That's for everyone, yeah. Rated something. Explicit. No, E is explicit, I think, in podcasts. Oh. Boy, what's wrong with me? Okay, one (laughs) such act. James threw me off with these sex bracelets. (laughs) I had sex rings. I was ready for sex rings today. I was not ready for sex bracelets. (laughs) One such act of sex magic was to create an astral golem or psychogone. Psychogone, yeah. Using a piece of parchment. Okay, so let me walk you through a bit of the sex magic. We're going to do a couple of sex magics here. I'm going to tell you one, and then Neil's going to do Gregorius uh, describing a different act of sex magic. So, male and female partner join together, as in physical procreation, like, you know, sex. Right except that they are creating an independent third psyche or soul. A naked male and female magician enter a magical circle. She lays flat and enters a trance state. He strokes her various chakra regions to draw out her odic force and channel it into the parchment. She ends her trance and gets up. He sits with the parchment between his feet. She gets on top of him and his phallus goes into her vagina. Okay. 
Then post-coitus, the sexual fluids that flow out of her are mixed with an alcohol and soaked into the parchment. The parchment is dried, and later a pendulum is used to determine whether a psyche has been formed therein. Mm. So the parchment becomes it comes to occupy, contain this tulpa-ish entity. Got that so far? Yeah, essentially it's like procreation, but on a paper. Yes, magic procreation of a psychic baby. Yes. Yeah, contained on parchment. Have the medium lie completely disrobed in a comfortable resting position and relaxing the body with eyes closed and head pointing towards the circle of magnetic earth meridian in the south. Step behind the head of the medium, close the medium's eyes firmly by slightly pressing on the closed eyelids. Concentrate and allow your willpower to flow successfully through the solar plexus, the sex center and the intuition center of the medium. Now stand on your toes with your arms held high and from above, and without physically touching, allow your sexual center to contact her intuition center, your solar plexus, hers. This exercise, uh, all right, so, so James, basically what, what happens is uh, the guy stands over the naked girl like this and tries to get his intuition to connect with his sex power to connect with her intuition power. Yeah, the female and the male energy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Just, just, but no touching. No touching. Not right. in this case. There was touching in the other one, though. Right. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, there had to be to get those juices. Gotta, gotta get the juices. <laughs> so this exercise was designed to bind a medium to a magician and points to the patriarchal and not especially feminist ethos of Gregorius's sex magic. If you hadn't already perceived that in his traditional sexual recipe, it should be pretty obvious here. The magician should have sex with the medium at, I'm quoting here, applicable planetary hours, but never ejaculate inside the female genitals under this context. Rather, the ejaculate should be rubbed onto the solar plexus of the partner. The goal of this is to create an obedient partner, quoting again, not only as a female, but also during astral travels. I don't like this. Well, you can't have a disobedient female during your astral travels, James. I can, and I will. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> I only know how to astrally travel with a disobedient female. Exactly. I wouldn't know how to get anywhere if my female was listening to what I had to say you know, and doing as I requested. <laughs> <laughs> we got to figure this out together. Right. <laughs> if nobody's arguing with me, I get insecure. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Gregorius. Saturn was also the guardian on the threshold in the sense first proposed by Edward Bulwer-Lytton in his occult novels. By focusing on the real tangible fact uh, and intellectualism, the initiate is able to explore both the light and the dark associated with Saturn himself. So coming off sex magic a bit and getting into Saturn... Why Saturn? Why the dark? The initiate must go against the natural grain of his or her own character in order to approach the guardian. Saturn was a difficult and threatening taskmaster on this journey, but Saturn's severity would turn to favor after the initiate's mission was accomplished. If the Chela is fearless in the confrontation with Saturn, the guardian will open the gate, allowing the initiate to achieve gnosis. Knowledge of Saturn could free the initiate from the law of cause and effect. What is gnosis? Knowledge. Divine knowledge. Okay. Wisdom. J- like, essentially like Matrix-style downloading and knowledge. Like, yeah. it's not, like not something you learn. It's just knowledge that you receive. I mean, originally, I mean, it, it, when we think about the Christians, it was, the, it was the notion that all the stuff Jesus said that was in the Gospels was 
not gnosis. The real gnosis was when Jesus pulled Judas aside and said, hey man, I got some things to tell you that I'm not telling these other guys. And then Judas writes those down or somebody writes those down on his behalf. And that's the secret wisdom, the gnosis. Okay. Yeah. The secret knowledge. Yes. So in this case, because Saturn is the dark God, the fearful God, the fearful, the fear, fearsome God, you want to confront Saturn and through that confrontation, you achieve knowledge. So this is another reason they're, they're not, um, they're not, I keep trying to not use the word coming. They're not <laughs> Arriving? Yeah, they're not arriving inside because that would bring life. Oh, and thought, that's like a I Luciferian thing? Not trying to use the word coming like in other contexts because you didn't want it to have a sexual context, no, no, but you're tra- literally I, talking I'm about ejaculation. About okay, ejaculation. They're not ejaculating. They're not arriving. The, I like yes, arriving. arriving. Either way, they're not landing on the land strip, uh-huh. whatever. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, yeah. Well, because birth is what? A Luciferian concept where destruction is... Uh, yes, I suppose sa- it's more yeah. Saturnian to Saturnian. avoid uh, procreation. Yeah. Yeah. That and they're using sense. this to get in touch with that, both through the male and female energies, male being the role of the medium. Mm-hmm. Well, the medium is female. The medium is female. Okay. Yeah. The so male the is the magician. The medium, and the male is the magician. Yeah. Okay. I see this. <laughs> I see this magic still today, you know. Oh. Yeah, like magicians, like parlor trick magicians, essentially. I Yes, but this is with like, you know. Yes, but this ancient is. Ancient gods. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> No, not, not, not the, with the like gods a, a rabbit or anything. Rabbit tricks, yeah. Yes. Yeah, there are no rings or anything involved. Uh, where are we talking about? The Brotherhood's uh, Cosmo... We got through, did we get through Saturn? Did we get through Saturn? I don't know. Okay, the members' public names were kept secret and replaced by lodge names. Yeah, anonymous style. Their work was aimed at the spiritual perfection of the individual members, which would in turn raise the consciousness of the whole lodge and then the world at large. So, compassion, not compassionless love, but still they're trying to elevate all of us through this work. The order taught that members should achieve pure thought, which is to say intuitive spiritual insight achieved through contemplation and meditation. The individual must disidentify with what they are not in order to become who they are and practice trust in themselves and kindness. Everything in the world around us is a symbol, says the Brotherhood, that can clue us into the existence and meaning of a higher reality. Initiates strived for physical fitness, a general love of nature, and to master their sexual drives in order to channel them into magical work. Master. Master them. Master. Master. into a piece of paper. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. See? Everything's a symbol, James. Yes, I see. (laughs) Secret meanings everywhere. (laughs) The Brotherhood's cosmology and lore were heavily influenced by the theories of Hans Horbiger. Horbiger was an engineer and inventor best remembered for co-authoring a book about his world ice theory with Philip Foth in 1912. While staring at the moon, Horbiger was struck by the idea that the moon was in fact formed by ice, which accounted for the lunar surface's texture and brightness. Must be ice, he said, reflecting the sun. 
Academics were slow to consider, let alone adopt Torbinger's ideas. So following the First World War, he decided to bring them directly to the public by giving a lecture tour and promoting radio programs, movies, and novels about cosmic ice. It's sort of like if I submitted an article to an academic journal and they were like, no, Rob, this makes no sense. You're completely wrong here. And then I said, oh, screw you guys. I'm going to put it on the podcast and act like it's true. Yeah, I'm just going to post it on <laughs> yeah, Facebook. Yeah. I'm just going to let everybody know. Yeah, make a big deal about it. Uh, the idea is most often mentioned today in association with Adolf Hitler and Heinrich Himmler, who were both sympathetic to Horbiger's claims and made them part of Nazi party ideology. There's countless podcast episodes. I think even though they were anti-occult, they loved ice theory. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Horbiger claimed that our solar system was formed when a dead waterlogged star crashed into a gigantic star, exploding and sending large blo- blocks of ice hurtling through. space. Base. Planets accumulate these ice blocks, roving the galaxy in the form of meteors by sucking them into their orbit. Larger planets are the product of a larger collection of ice. Earth previously had more moons, which were drawn into the surface and subsumed. We swallowed our moons. That's where the oceans come from. Right? That's the Pacific a, moon, the Atlantic right. moon, the Indian moon. Indian moon. <laughs> a moon was responsible for the destruction of the ancient lost continent of Lemuria, also Atlantis. There's your Atlantic moon. This left two moons, dark and light, orbiting the planet. The dark moon, Lilith, was subsumed, leaving Luna, the final moon, still in orbit. Luna's final absorption will be the next great world catastrophe. The Brotherhood understood themselves to exist on the cusp of the end of the Age of Pisces and the dawning of the Age of Aquarius. True story. I'm not just doing that for the song. Uh, That age, by the way, would be ruled by Saturn. I don't think the Fifth Dimension saw it that way, but... (laughs) The band? Here we are. No, I think they were thinking in different... Well, it wasn't actually the Fifth Dimension. It was uh, Hair, the musical. Oh, yeah, I don't know if I've told this story on this podcast. It's a fascinating story. Um, the fifth dimension, like uh, one of the guys in the fifth dimension, like this isn't a documentary. I can't remember which documentary I was watching, but they found the wallet of one of the, I think one of the producers of the musical Hair. Uh, and they had really wanted to see the musical, but they couldn't get a ticket. But they found his wallet in the back of a taxi cab and they called him. They didn't know it was him. And the guy was like, oh, that's so nice of you. Uh, I'm going to give you some tickets to hair. And they were like, why? How are you going to give us tickets to hair? He's and like, I'm, he's, the I'm the producer. Yeah. Uh, and, and it happened that this, this, were, this was the fifth dimension who had found his wallet. So they went to see the musical and they loved the song Age of Aquarius. And the version of it that we know today is the version that was a number one hit for the fifth dimension when they recorded it. But that song's from Hair? That song's from Hair. I did not know this. If they had never seen Hair, they would have never recorded the version that we all know. And actually, probably none of us would know the song. It would be lost in musical theater history. And unless you're a musical theater nerd who happened to see actors strip naked at the intermission, you're never going to know. Yeah. And it would never have been in Four-Year-Old Virgin as the credits song. (laughs) It wouldn't have been, you know. And that movie would have bombed. Yeah, it would have bombed. It would have bombed. (laughs) Who would want to watch that? no ending not the brothers of saturn (laughs) so horbinger they would have loved that movie horbinger argued that the sun's gravitational force ceased around the planet neptune and that the universe was engaged in a steady push and pull between the forces of ice and fire they said wait they said that it ends at neptune yes but pluto is the ice one right yeah pluto seems kind of important pluto is the one made of ice yeah too, well it's going to get subsumed because <laughs> okay. that's what happens to ice tiny ice things in I'm space t- i'm tired of people hating on pluto 
The Brotherhood connected ice and fire to personal and spiritual action. The creative force was centrifugal, that is to say, spinning outward in the sense of expanding itself into the universe. That is the force of ice. The restricting, limited, limiting, and concentrating centripetal force pulling inward was the Crestos or Christ principle, the solar force, because we're all drawn to the sun, keeping us in our orbit. Crestos being the Luciferian energy. There you go. Light, yeah. Significantly, significantly, Crestos preached the importance of gnosis or knowledge, and not just pistis or faith. Jesus said you gotta know, not just believe. The Brotherhood was banned by the Nazis, as I mentioned at the beginning, who, despite their own occult beliefs, actively persecuted occult lodges, including the very Volkish groups who inspired their ideology. Three years later, the Gestapo seized Gregorius's library and he fled to Switzerland. Gregorius moved from Switzerland to Italy and was arrested in and extradited back to Germany. Yeah, I was wondering... At the, at the top, when you said that he went to Switzerland, and then they went and got him. Yeah, they and didn't like, get him in Switzerland. Not in Switzerland. No. Yeah, okay. He he left Switzerland. For Italy. Like a dum-dum. I, I don't know why like he, he would do that. he didn't know that Switzerland's <laughs> neutral. Really bad idea. <laughs> and that Italy's not exactly on the, you know, side of, of right, so, yeah, Saturnian he, brothers. He made a bad decision there. Oops. So yeah, they extradited him back to Germany in 1943, and after a year in detention, he was released without charges, which should suggest that he either made a deal with the Nazis, or less, uh, I guess, damagingly, that they saw no danger in releasing him. They decided, ah, this Saturnian stuff is just, just kind of funky, where I guess there's no reason to bother with you anymore. The group was revived in the 1950s, and the order grew substantially from 57 to 64 when Gregorius died. With Gregorius's death, the Brotherhood began to splinter, forming offshoots based on leadership and beliefs. In 1971, Adolf Hemberger published a trove of the Brotherhood's secret materials that he had received from a former Grand Master, effectively ending the Brotherhood's existence as a largely secret esoteric order although variants of the Brotherhood have continued to practice up through the present day. Today, the group maintains a degree of secrecy, still with only six publicly known members. And that, James, Ben Neal, is the Fraternitas Saturni. Final thoughts? Yeah, uh, sounded a little sexist. <laughs> I'll First takeaway. Yeah, it didn't really age that First well. First takeaway. But, um... But very interesting concepts. The bigger ideas uh, I really liked thinking about. The Saturnian gods, yes, yes. The, the dark and the light. Yeah, the dark and the light. And, and you know, yeah. But uh, as far as becoming unresistible to women, that shouldn't be your goal. That's, <laughs> that's not consent. <laughs> you know, that's silly. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess in theory, not with the magic potion, but in theory with the sex magic, the woman has to at least be willing to, you know strip off and lay down and, and perform the ritual yeah and let you do this kind of thing but yeah hopefully they are yes i'm gonna say today and all days in all history james and i believe that you should be yes on board that is yeah and if you're not then uh you shouldn't, shouldn't be do happening <laughs> shouldn't no sex happening. magic is happening today right consensual sex magic is uh is all right bring us on home james we, the members of the Secret Order of <laughs> Alchemical Literature, oh, no, declare no? close. I, I, yeah, I, I, as the, I hereby, uh, I hereby, as captain of the table, yes, adjourn this meeting of the alchemical actors until such until a time. such a time as we reconvene 
to do it again. There you go. Uh, my name is Dr. Robert C. Thompson. I am your Supreme Hierophant, joined here by Neil Sigmund, who was the voice of Gregorius this day. Hello. You can... I... It's goodbye now. Good... And goodbye. There we go. <laughs> 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 James Complacious, Captain of the Table. Goodbye, everybody. Uh, that is it for Gregor Gregorius next time. And I know you're all looking forward to this. Uh, we go to Russia, my friends, where we explore in a two-part uh, episode the life and times of one Grigory Rasputin here Pre- on the Call Confessions. <laughs>